Welcome back to the Girls Talk Ag podcast, plowing through the manure online. Uh, this week's kind of special, but every week is special. But this week is sad. We have a black armband on, Karen and I, because Jen is planting uh, soybeans. She has 250 acres to get done today, and so she's not with us today, and we're sad. But Karen's here, and I'm here, so... We will trudge yay. on. Yeah, we have to. I mean, that's, we just, we have to go and we want to thank Jen for working exceptionally hard out there. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. That's what, so, uh, so this year, this spring so far has been one, if not for the record books, it'll probably be one that we look back on often, you know, especially considering how it, it turns out. But uh, every one of you who's listening has uh, probably dealt with your share of adversity this spring. Um, I don't think there's anywhere that I've seen where someone could say, wow, this year has been ideal. So um, we thought we would kind of talk about we'd use Karen's expertise because she's super smart about everything agronomic uh-huh. out there. Um, she is my go-to when I have questions and, uh, I can talk some stuff on markets, some stuff, just a little bit. Every, every week I expect like someone to be like, that's nice. Your 15 minutes is up. Go sit in the corner. But <laughs> you it hasn't been. heifer. No, <laughs> that's just it. You're a doofy heifer. Go away. But, uh, so far so good. And, uh, so we figured we would do like a market field sort of update and uh, just kind of discuss what's happening out there in the world today and, and what that might mean for you, um, you know, not only from a, a production standpoint, but also we're going to chat a little bit about uh, why the hell aren't the markets paying attention to what's going on. And uh, um, we're going to dive in head first. Um, you know, Karen, I want you to, to kind of start talking about the things that you're seeing out there with tons of water and, and what that means. Yeah, I think we keep waiting for the plague or feel like we're living in quite the little bizarro world, but there's a lot of water out there, um, unless you're in the Dakotas, and they're actually yeah. in a little bit of a dry spell, so they're kind of at the extreme. Uh, yeah. Most of their their rain is going south, but um, there's a lot of water, depending on where you are. Southern Illinois has been hit hard. Um, parts of northern Illinois, east, cent- east central Illinois, kind of in the Champaign area, has been hit hard. Uh, And Indiana, for the most part, has been hit pretty hard, too, and parts of Missouri. So it's a little crazy out there. I know guys keep wishing for the rain to stop, but you really need to be careful what you wish for, because I think when it stops, it's going to stop for good. Yeah, I've heard a lot of the old timer thing where you get the same amount of rain every year. It's just a matter of when it comes. Yeah, whether it's all in one day or spread out. Yeah, yeah. 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 And we definitely need the wet pattern to stay because there's a lot of stuff that went in and not so great conditions and um, keeping the water coming could help hide those mistakes for quite a while and maybe not have as big an effect as they would if we turned off dry. So um, one of the weird things is that some of the fields that went into really good conditions have turned for the worst, while those that were kind of questionable going in are still kind of hanging in there. So like I said, it's a little bit of a bizarre world, and I guess we won't really know what we should or shouldn't have done until probably September. I mean, there's always a couple days each year, like last year, right around Mother's Day was a horrible mm-hmm. time to plant. Um, yep. This year, I don't know, might be the whole spring, <laughs> the right <laughs> we're going, I don't know, but we'll find out soon. So Yeah, that's what I joked with a... Um 
farmer friend out here in Iowa and, and uh, he was talking about the corn that he planted the end of April. And he said, God, I, I don't know when I'll figure out if it's good or not. And I said, round about October 15th. Somewhere in that realm, you'll figure out whether or not it was worth your while. Because it's, I mean, that's really where we're at. And that's last year, Mother's Day weekend was the absolute worst. And and I guess we'll see what, what this year brings. Yeah, and I think that helped a lot of guys this year. Because last year, the later planted corn after Mother's Day, you know, was some of their highest yielding. So that kind of alleviated a little bit of the tension this spring um, when they weren't getting on early. But um, let's face it, we just turned to June today. So... Yeah. That panic button is getting cranked back up. Yeah, so. our, hair is, our hair is definitely on fire now. And I, and I was going to ask you this. I was talking to a customer earlier today, and, and he had been kind of chastised by his banker at the start of May because he hadn't been out um, breaking breaking his leg to get stuff planted, you know, and his, his banker had said, you got to get going when it's time to go. And, and he was of the mindset and we both agreed. And I am not an agronomic expert at all. I've stated a couple holiday ends and that's about the gist, but, um, you know, and, and so correct me if I'm completely wrong, but sometimes isn't it better to, to go into a warmer, um, more prepared seed bed than trying to, to slam it into, to the poorer soil conditions. Do you think that'll be something that'll show up this year or is it, Yeah, and it already has. You know, some of the corn that was planted the end of April emerged the same time the stuff that was planted in mid-May. You know, it was in the ground for three weeks, and that does weaken those seeds and makes it harder for them to to grow healthy and and come out, you know, um, come out of the gates running. So, yeah, that does make a difference. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you should have been doing this or you should have done that or if it was me kind of stuff going around. And, you know, you got one shot to get that in right. And if your fields are stickier than the guy next to you, then by all means, you need to do what you need to do and you need to wait. You know, you can't go because they're going. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, know, you got one shot at this. You better make sure it's the best shot you can take. And if that means waiting for a day or two and watching the neighbor plant, well, then that's what you need to do. Yeah. And that's, I, you know, I've seen that a lot this year where it's the whole market. You have a whole year to trade a market, one day to plant the crop. <laughs> And so I don't even know. Did you say that? I know someone did on oh, Twitter. No, was and I, it? Was it, it might have been Steve. It might. I'm not sure. It may have been 17 different people. I don't know. It all blurs together after a while. But um, so what are you hearing on the replant thing? Are you um, hearing a lot out there? What do you, I mean, where are you seeing it happen? Is it an issue, do you think? or Kind of all over. There's a lot that happened with that cold, wet. I mean, they didn't just get cold, wet rain. They got like. 10 inches of cold, wet rain, which, you know, I mean, that's that's hard to come, right. And that's hard, (laughs) that's hard to bounce back from. Um, So yeah, we've had both replants and first plants that are still going on right now in Illinois and Iowa. I think in the next couple of days, we should get the corn mostly for the most part in, Um, but it's going to take a little bit longer to get some of the beans in. And so far I haven't heard of very much switching over, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, some of the crop insurance states are coming up here pretty quick. Yeah. So we may see some change after that. But do you do much in Indiana? Are you hearing much about because Indiana seems to be the epicenter of where they're just absolutely I mean, Illinois had it rough and, and eastern Iowa has had some struggles, Missouri, Arkansas, places like that. But I know you guys are your your customer base is, is kind of in the I states, right into the Dakota parts of the Dakotas. Is that? Uh, yeah, we kind of, I don't know, are we in nine states, 10 states? I don't, the majority of our customers are in Illinois and Iowa, and we just started okay. a group in Indiana, but our group in Indiana is more north central. Okay. Um, yeah. 
And so it's the south of there that's been really hit hard. If you drew a line from St. Louis and kind of stayed south of Interstate 70 and then um, went towards Indianapolis and south of there, that that's kind of the area where the 10, you know, inches at a time has come down. So yeah. it's really rough down there. And, and I know even a couple of different guys have been trying to plant and there'll be like one stray cloud and it'll be right above their heads. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's like watching Eeyore sometimes on on Winnie the Pooh, right? That's what yeah. where um, everything's okay and and uh, it's sunny everywhere else, but it seems to be and and you know I've heard that quite often um, where it seems like the customers who can't buy a rain never get one, and the customers who need it to stop rain need it to stop raining can't get it. To stop, yeah, you know, it's a lot. You know, your chance if you have a fifty or sixty percent chance or whatever it is is much more likely to happen if you're already wet than if you're not. So, yeah. but yeah. even this year, you know, in a lot of cases where they were already wet, a tenth of rain acted like more than an inch. So, yeah. well, and I can only imagine. You know, I'm up here in North Central Iowa, um, and and we've only really seen you know last 14 days let's even go out to the last 30 days if you look at uh the weather.gov website you know and and look at the amazing returns on on rainfall the 5 to to 15 inches in some spots in in Illinois Indiana Michigan you know some spots in Ohio here Kentucky Tennessee i mean you could just go on and on but where we're at we've seen 2 to 3 inches 4 inches you know in, in some spots over the last month or so and we just finally with uh mondays three days we had three days of excessive wind and sun mm-hmm. on uh, sunday monday tuesday Welcome and that to iowa angie oh my gosh you guys i tell you what i try my i i try i try to deal with it but i'm just like can we plant some damn trees <laughs> you know like it's windy in michigan but we got trees it stops it it's yeah. beautiful you know out here the the wind comes sweeping off the gd plains or something i don't know but in any event you know, it, it dried stuff out real quick. And that's actually, I, I had a customer that I work with in Michigan where um, they haven't even been in the heavy rains, but he's on heavy soils. And oh, so fair. he's been struggling really hard to get the last bit of his bean crop planted. And he said the wind was a lifesaver. Um, yep. You know, Tuesday, talking to him, he didn't think it would be until, you know, it'd be two weeks before he dried out because he ended up with an inch of rain that came out of just a isolated thunderstorm. And and uh, now he was able to get his beans planted today. So he's a much happier camper. Um, he was quite downtrodden there. Uh, which can only be expected when you keep getting kicked in the teeth, you know. Yeah, definitely. I always say I hate the year. I like the years I stay an agronomist all summer, and I hate the years where I turn from an agronomist to a grief counselor. Oh yeah. Well, it's like the old Lucy on Charlie Brown, where she has the yeah. psychiatry for five cents or whatever. That's how I feel in years like this, especially with the markets not doing anything. So, like, it's something to be said if you can. Um, if if you can't plant, but you can turn on your screen and see corn up ten or something like that each day, for some it makes reason you it, feel good about it. At yeah, least. It's, you're like at least I, you know, I can't plant, but at least what I've got in isn't going to suck, you know, price wise. And and right now, um, I've been bullish the market for quite some time, and you know, I'm getting guys that are like, hey, if, I, I thought you said we should be seeing a rally, and I'm like, hey, I thought we'd see one by now. Um, Logic would tell us that we would see one. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing is, is you looked at uh, crop conditions released this past Tuesday um, that were were put together Sunday, Sunday night. Um, and, 
you know, the one thing I can say about the USDA is they tend to lean bearish to the market. They tend to assume solid production. You know, um, even in instances, I always kind of believe that, you know, whatever their their crop conditions show, you could probably knock 5% off the top, um, mm-hmm. you know, just because for one, it's a hard job to put that information together. And I don't know, you know, I don't, I can't really see how necessarily it's, it's there. It's the best tool we have, but I don't know how, how necessarily accurate it is overall. Um, just because you've got folks driving around and kind of looking and, and using their, their opinion, you know, on, on what the crop conditions are. And, and last week we were driving down to Des Moines and I, pointed at a field of corn to Carl. And I said, what would you rate that good to excellent? And he said, it's corn. And I said, I know, but what percent good to excellent would you rate that? And he's like, it's corn. And I said, but you need to put a number on it. And we kind of got into a little bit of a, a pissing match on that just because, you know, to me, I, I, I understand it's necessary to have the USDA kind of come out and give us a measuring stick. But at the same time, I think it's kind of a faulty system. But in any event, they came out this week and actually came in a lot lower than what traders were anticipating condition wise. Um, and we'll have to see what happens. You know, is there some corn that that's going to hit some some nitrogen? You know, that's what everyone tells me is once it gets the root system built, it'll look much better. Um, do you think that's the case or what do you think, you know, if, if where you're sitting right now, judging by what you've seen in your knowledge, um, would you say, what would you say it will take to improve? Um, obviously heat, heat and sun is going to help anything turn green. A lot of the soils when they're cold, don't release the micronutrients, particularly, you know, the zinc, the sulfur and things like that. And that can make a crop look, you know, it can turn it a little bit yellow. But one of the things I noticed is driving around, I mean, in this area, there were still a lot of fields that were completely black or even not even yeah. the ones that had cover crops were just killed cover crops. I mean, there was nothing in them. So maybe in the last couple of days, a lot more of those are going to sprout up, but I have not seen that many fields without anything emerged in it this late in a long time. Yeah. I I feel the same way. Um, and I didn't know if that was just out here. I mean, out here in, in Iowa, uh, I've, I could count on one hand how many soybean fields I've seen. Yeah. Well, in a lot of these fields, you don't know what they're, I mean, you can see the residue. So obviously you can kind of tell probably what they're maybe supposed to go to, but I mean, they're just empty. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's weird. It's June 1st, right? So, um, you know, there's a whole plethora of issues that could kind of come about from that. Right. I mean, for one, you're probably going to, to pollinate or flower all in one window. Um, you know, your weather risk is probably greater, right? And and probably going to happen in the the heart of, of the warmer weather this year, would you say? Or will that depend um, on well, what if happens? we get warm, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, anything that's planted, or I shouldn't say planted at the same time, if it's emerged at the same time, then it's going to be at the same stage. So, you know, if we had the wrong type of weather event come through when the majority of corn is popped, you know, pollinating. I mean, that could be an issue, but we're not out of the woods yet as far as early season stuff yet either. You know, Pythium I've seen in some fields taking out um, low populations to begin with and, and Pythium can work till on the crop till V2, V3. So some of these fields still have a week or so before they're out in the clear that so they're not going to have to be replant them. It's a seedling disease. Okay. 
So you and so can it see comes up fine. Okay. And, and your field looks good. And then slowly it starts taking out plants and then your population drops. And in the fields that were questionable, you know, as far as their emergence anyway, it won't, wouldn't take very many more taken out for that to, you know, be a part, you know, looking at a replant situation. So, and there's been plenty of other stuff going crazy too. I feel like, I feel like the locusts are going to end up coming because if it was the it was the rain, it was the pythium, it was the cold weather. You know, we armyworms are huge in a lot of the cover crop fields. No, I and they're also moving into fields next to those who had cover crops. I was going to say, like, I saw a video on Twitter last night of of armyworms. I mean, it, it haunted. Oh, that me. creepy crawly one. Yes. Oh, that was horrible. Where was that from? Do you remember? Was that uh, in Iowa or Illinois or no? No, I don't think it was. I don't know. I can't remember, but it made me shudder. It was horrible. Yeah, that was disgusting to me. And I mean, that's just one more thing on a, a farmer's plate. Then. Right. And there's some weird stuff coming out, too. Like I had one of my growers sent me some pictures. He had millipedes eating his soybean seedlings in the furrow while they were trying to emerge. And that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, that I mean, doesn't. It's not, I mean, it's rare, but I mean, we've seen it before. But yeah, so that's kind of another weird thing. Um, I know Kelly Estes at the Illinois Pest Survey um, in Illinois Pest or IL Pest Survey is her Twitter handle. She's been having a lot of moth flights and she monitors all the pests throughout Illinois. Uh, and she's had some cutworm flights and all kinds of just crazy stuff. So it's um, it feels like it's one of those years that anything could happen and everything is happening. Now, for one, one thing I want to point out, I have, I have two things that I want to kind of build off from on that. But the one thing I want to point out is is in an instance with Pythium, which I feel so much smarter now. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> um, the USDA is not going to back off on emergence. You know, so it's just like with issues of replant where we see Illinois and Indiana that that have a good amount of stuff planted, but they also know they're going to see a significant amount of replanting. The USDA is not going to account for that. So if it's been planted, it's planted. Um, if it's emerged, it's emerged. You know what I mean? So a lot of traders on the the outside looking in who maybe haven't driven around um, the countryside uh, here and, and seen things for their themselves firsthand, um, you know, looking at the, the USDA numbers, they may assume one thing is happening, whereas another thing could be be happening um, in the end. You know what I mean? Where it, it actually could be a little bit different. Um, right. And if you go by the philosophy, rain makes rain, then all of this is good. Yes. Well, yeah. And that's in. So that's the struggle that we have is because traditionally, and I've said this a thousand different times, traditionally, traders assume that in years of wet weather for every acre that you have flooded, two acres are benefiting from the moisture. The biggest difference right now between now and like 2015, which is the last year in memory that we had an exceptionally wet year, is that the crop was already well emerged, planted, well emerged and on its way. Yeah, and it was later in the season. Yeah. yeah so a, a, a shin to knee high corn plant can handle a hell of a lot more rain. And maybe I'm wrong in this, so correct me. But a shindanine no, high corn plant okay, can handle a lot more rain than either seed sitting in a cold, wet s- seed bed or a plant that's, you know, maybe V2. Because in that corn, the growing point is above. Yeah. Is above the ground and, and usually above the water. It's like a snorkel, right? I mean, they can breathe. Right. But the different things that we've had in the last couple of years and some of the reasons why we had bigger crops, you know, we didn't, those wet holes that we're seeing now haven't been there. Yeah. They've actually produced a crop, whereas most years we have to write those off. So, I mean, that's an issue too. Yeah. 
And that's why, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. And that was going to be my second question to you is, you know, you're talking about the millipedes, the army worms, the, the other pest things. Is that because we had a little bit warmer winter or is that because it's it's they've been able to kind of um, be there for a while here this spring and and live and wait for the stuff to show up or, you know, is this something that you've seen before or is this a, a new phenomenon that we're kind of dealing with in, in your neck of the woods? Well, you know, a mild winter can bring in certain pests that, you know, they can keep the higher populations of pests while they overwinter. But, you know, some of the army worms are because we have more cover crops than we've had out before. Okay. Uh, the millipedes actually are due to wetness, but also um, high residue. So okay. guys have really been building that up lately. And the other question I've gotten quite a bit in the last week, a lot of guys have slugs. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> Taking out their soybeans. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Another shutter. Slimy little slugs. Ugh. Yeah. And there's really no... Um, rescue treatment for slugs. I mean, unless you're going to go salty to one to kill it, but that's, you know. That seems like a, a little bit difficult. Yeah, so. that seems like a, a lot to do. And that's, I keep seeing like trend line and whatnot, but generally our better yields are when we're slightly dry. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's going to be set up for a big yield right now, I'd be looking at the Dakotas. Well, they're real dry. I mean, and that's important to kind yeah. of point out right now is um, there could be some pretty big issues there. You're looking at North Dakota and South Dakota and, and today's updated drought monitor um, are abnormally dry working into uh, moderate drought. In, in parts of North and South Dakota, um, abnormally dry is creeping into Minnesota. Um, but the, the areas, um, you know, south of the Twin Cities, I would say south and, and east of the Twin Cities have, have uh, been a, quite a bit wetter because these storm systems that have been working their way through Iowa have, have gone up into there and there through Wisconsin. Into Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're, you're starting to see that. And it's important to point out that, uh, Minnesota was the fourth largest corn producer a year ago, uh, in South Dakota, I believe was sixth or seventh. Um, so it is important to watch, especially considering that a lot of the high temperatures being forecast this weekend are in the, the hundred degree range with there not really being a, a huge amount of, of rain, um, being forecasted. Parts of South Dakota look good in the GFS, um, which is the United States weather model, but the the GFS's success here over the last couple of weeks has been hit and miss. Um, so there, the forecast model there has not been one that you really want to rely on, and uh, that could be a big issue. I mean, right now it's it's been more of a huge issue for Minneapolis wheat. Um, you know, there's there's places right now that. Uh, uh, wheat is heading out, spring wheat's heading out um, in South Dakota right now. Um, and that's that's kind of unheard of. Um, that's a, a very rapid push to maturity. And uh, that tends to not be a big indicator of, of large production there either. So, um, you know, that's kind could of that part of that be because of the mild winter and then it didn't have to recover as much. Well, they it, that would this would be uh, um, this would. Well, and that's, I would have to double check. This is spring wheat. So this was oh, just okay, planting. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're okay. fine. You're fine. Um, I had to double check. I was like, wait a minute. Um, you know, it, it, that's, that's the spring wheat. So that's crazy to me, you know, and, and meanwhile, I sit with winter wheat in Michigan, um, and we're delayed. Like we're, I don't even know. I think we're just putting heads on. And that's kind of a little late for us, um, which is hard for me because I'm in central Iowa right now. I'm so used to being able to at least see when I drive by what the hell's going on in each field. So I have to rely on 
have to rely on my customers. So is that heading? Is there a concern over VOM or not? You know, and and uh, we've we've at least stayed partially dry um, in Michigan, so that's helped a little bit for us. But so her herbicide, herbicide, herbicide. Which is it anyway? Um, which do you prefer? Hmm. I use herbicide. Herbicide. Um, I'm not the English major, so. Well, that's yeah. why it's Whenever like, you I, you know, it's like fungicide. I'm like, is it fungicide? Fungicide? Anyway, um, herbicide applications have been an issue, like you said, with the rain and, and windy conditions. You know, are you seeing any issues with that? Like pre-emerge? I've had a lot of calls on herbicides. I think that's mainly what I've been talking about the last week or so. You know, a lot of the pre-emergence either didn't get on or once it got on, it went below where the weeds were germinating. And so they have some weedy fields and we're having to switch strategies. And, and some guys are using products that maybe they weren't intended to and aren't as familiar with. So the one thing I can't stress enough is read the label. Yeah. You know, it's your responsibility as the farmer applicator to make sure you know what you're mixing together and whether or not it's legal. That's why I and, couldn't you know, you be need- a farmer. I don't, I skim. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it looks good. Uh, Let's use it. And then I kill everything. But- um, you need to make sure that you know what surfactants and adjuvants you should, you're supposed to be using. And if you're tank mixing products, you know, on the labels, it tells you what you can and can't tank mix. And you need to be careful with some of that because if a certain product is oily, it could make um, another product even more deathly than it normally would be. And so you need to, you know, watch those kinds of things. And if you tank mix two or more products together, you need to make sure that those surfactants are labeled for all those herbicides in the mix. And I know with the weather's been rough, people have been rushed, mistakes have been made. Um, And so, I mean, that's going to happen, but... um, does that it's cause... a lot better if you can just take a few minutes to to read the label and make sure you have your you know your strategy ready. Now that can cause some issues if you do that wrong like on your pre-emerge, how long does that last if you put something wrong down? Well, the pre-emerge if the corn's not up, it's not as important. Okay. Um but once the corn gets up, like your products, you have like Corvus, you have till V2. Um, but if you mix something like an insecticide in there or even a dual or something slightly oil, it can actually negate the safener in it and your corn crop can turn white. Wow. So that can be an issue. Um, can it come back it, from that if you turn it white? Uh, it depends on how badly, but I mean, it, it takes its toll. Okay. So, um, and then the other thing, you, I mean, we're having a lot of guys didn't get stuff down and now um the weeds are a lot taller than what their label the herbicides are labeled for okay and so guys need to really monitor their weed sizes and be realistic about the performance of what they're going to be spraying if the weeds are above the size on the label so herbicides are not miracles regardless of what the chemical rep might tell you well i heard that they were the new one is that's on the market i don't really have an option the only example. miracle is a hoe or pulling it out yourself so <laughs> that's uh hose hose be miracles yeah Um, we've seen a lot of hose i bet there's a lot of hose named miracle (laughs) you know there's been a lot of dirty hose out in the field with rotary hoe and trying to get some of this crap out too which that's not something we do every year either yeah the rotary hoe is kind of one of those things that you wish you never had to use but you know you might have to kind of deal yep that's for sure. It's the one thing on the farm you never sell, just in case. Right? That's just, and that's what I've heard. I mean, I never even knew what a rotary hoe was, and I still probably wouldn't know one if it ran over my foot. I'd be like, "What the hell was that? What was that?" You don't. You've never seen a rotary hoe on a dirty, 
Dirt road? Dirty corner? No. Dirty hoe? No, not really. I don't think so. I've never seen one stand. Well, I've seen a few standing on corners, but that was when I was in Detroit. So, um, <laughs> yeah, different kind of dirty. Right? <laughs> so, so you've, uh, of course, I'm guessing had a lot of weed pictures sent to you. Um, right. People love, you know, you don't, you don't get the, the sexy texts. You get just pictures of weeds. I do. People send me their weeds. That's what, so. and not the good kind, obviously. Cause, yeah, not the kind you want to see. Right, Angie. that's what, not the kind where I'm like, mm, what's that called? Maui, wowie. Yeah, with some without the <laughs> without the pre-emerge on, and some of the guys switched what they were gonna. They decided not to till and just to put some stuff in no-till, um, just to try and save time. And so some weeds emerged that they weren't necessarily used to seeing. I've seen a couple different species of ground cherry. I had a cut leaf evening primrose, which I have never seen before, but thank you that Aaron Hager, the weed scientist at the University of Illinois, is now on Twitter, and uh, he was helpful in helping us uh, figure out what that was. And then besides that, uh, we saw a picture last night of overgrown water hemp and pigweed. I mean, it was a complete mat. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't even, you know, fire, burn the whole thing down. I don't know what you do with that. What would you do with something like that? I mean... Is there anything? Well, if it, was a, if it was a tillage situation, um, you know, you could do that for one. Uh, but, some, I mean, they look like they were taller than what would be on most uh, on most labels. And, I, honestly, I couldn't even tell you what the crop was in the field. All I saw were pigweeds. So wow. I'm not sure what their options would have been. But, yeah, it was pretty nasty. Is this in one of those areas that it came from the cover crop seed so we can – that's the gift that keeps on giving? The, or the oh, CRPC. It wasn't the, it wasn't the it wasn't the Palmer amaranth. Oh. This was an actual field, but I mean, it could have been Palmer, but uh, it it was from down south. So okay, yeah, it, but yeah, that's an issue we got to be watching out for up here too. Palmer the, and pigweed look a lot alike, right? No, right? Correct, and so do water hemp. Okay. So it depends on what stage they're at, and and sometimes climate conditions can make them look a lot more alike than they normally would too. So it's hard to say. Okay. And that's, I mean, that can be a big deal because your Palmer or Amaranth, right, is not... Basically Satan's spawn. Okay. Yeah. That's because it cannot be killed by anything but like a blowtorch and Rambo, right? Is that yeah. Kinda... yeah. Generally, if it's over four inches, you have to disc it up. Wow. There's no way to kill it. And and it grows in good high temp conditions. It grows like two inches a day. It's insane. It is. It's nuts. I mean, I, I never knew what it was. Um, I hadn't heard much about it, I guess, and, until a few years back when we started talking about, well, a lot of folks thought it was in Michigan and it turned out that was pigweed, I believe. Uh-oh. And it was Roundup. Can pigweed be Roundup resistant? Can I say this out loud or yes. am I going to be? Yes. Let's call it glyphosate resistant. Glyphosate resistant. I don't want to be like dragged out and beaten by the the people that say nothing's glyphosate resistant. But in any event, so um, now that we've talked weed, um, what about nutrients? Like, are you seeing, you know, there there have been some issues with nutrient deficiencies, you know, and there's some talk. I saw something on Twitter last night about not putting, you know, you don't you don't want to side dress V2 corn. Um, which is, you know, they could have spoken in Portuguese and I'd have probably understood it just the same way. But I know there's a lot of talk about side dressing, throwing nitrogen on, you know, it just, oh, just throw some more nitrogen on and, and it's the savior. Cause in 2015, um, you know, I'd been to several, uh, 
uh, meetings that winter to speak at, you know, agronomic meetings to speak about markets and stuff. Mm-hmm. And everyone acted like the, the, uh, um, nitrogen application in mid June was the savior to that crop. Is that kind of what you're seeing, or what are you what are you looking at from a nutrient stand, stand standpoint? Well, I tried to avoid it, and I kept quiet on Twitter. But since you specifically brought it up, I disagree with that tweet for a lot of reasons. First of all, um, if you don't have any nitrogen on, then V two is a fine time to get it on. Okay. Um, there's Anytime's so many different a fine time to get it on, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, anyway, um, so I disagree with that, particularly because, you know, you don't know how much it was. It was too broad of a statement, I guess, than what I would be comfortable with saying, Uh, because you don't know who had on what or how much rain they've had or how much it might have converted, depending on which which um, form they used and whatnot. Totally understand that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same with sell all of your old crop now. I mean, that's too broad right. of a statement to make. So, but. Right. And depending on how many acres somebody has, you know, they may have to start at V2 or they may not get it all on. I know we had some guys last year, not that they were large farmers, but they were waiting and they got so much wind that they never got were able to put it on and they ended up having to fly it on. And that's just a whole nother, you know, that's a Hail Mary and a whole lot of prayers that it just even makes a slight impression. I was going to say so. flying nitrogen on seems kind of like pissing in the wind. Am I wrong in that? Like, I mean, I know we've done it with wheat in the past. Um, well, it would depend on if the soil had moisture in it or if you were getting a rain or how soon. It does have some volatilization issues if they were flying on urea. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what happens in the next 24 hours after flying it on, you know, makes it or breaks it. So that's, yeah. So that's beautiful. But yeah, so nitrogen, what we generally do is um, we have our growers put in a hot streak so they can visually see whether or not their crop needs more. And um, so that's kind of how we do it. And we usually put one in each field. And you can, if you, if um, you can also use a drone and with some sensors, and maybe you can see that a little bit earlier than you can with the naked eye. And so that's an option too. But um, you can test, depending on when you put it on or if you've even got it on yet. You can send soil samples into the lab and determine how much nitrate and how much ammonium are still in your soils and where the plants can reach it. You know, once it drops below 20, 12 inches, the, the plant's going to have less access to it, at least, you know, right away. So that's an issue. But, um, yeah, nitrogen is going to be a big topic of discussion. And a lot of the the crops look a little putrid anyway. They're kind of limeish green, what's coming out. And, and that's a lot of things. You know, some of that's not just nitrogen, but some of it is nutrient deficiencies. Okay. Some of it is that the roots were so surrounded and saturated with water that they just didn't have any oxygen okay. in order to actually take up the nutrients. Yeah. So, I mean, that has an effect too. But cold weather, wet feet cold soil, you know, anything to heat up like this, this last couple days and this coming week, hopefully we'll have a lot more good growing weather, you know, we'll be above 85 degrees, we'll have plentiful sunshine, you know, we'll have a lot of, um, you know, we'll have some faster growing corn and they'll be able to pick up nutrients and spit out some herbicides and and feel a lot better about their, their lives as a whole. Now, how long do you (laughs) wait before you panic about something like that? Or do you not panic? I mean, because that's the hard part right now is here it is June 1st 
and a lot of crops aren't even emerged like we discussed and you know do you let them emerge and then make the determination or do you, do we do the soil sample thing i mean do you just is that the best way to do it instead of waiting to see what you've got just try to to pull some samples and and well you can pull some samples and i would probably what i would do is i would take a, a sample or two in your good drained areas where water didn't sit and then a couple where it did sit but whether or not you put on more where you don't have as much is going to depend. You know, if that wet hole is never going to dry out and that corn is so far behind, wasting money on nitrogen might not be the best place to put that money. So there's a whole lot of factors that, you know, you have to take into consideration before you make a decision. Do you expect that, you know, if, if it is some nutrient deficiencies that it'll catch up or is that is there a whole bunch of factors in that too? You know what I mean? Like, there's just so many. Yeah, generally... Right. Generally, some of our micronutrient deficiencies like zinc and sulfur we'll see early on before we hit like V5. Okay. And those can be corrected. Um, sometimes it just needs the soil heated up. And if there's enough organic matter, it can fix that. Um, in situations where you have sand, you probably need to put something out there uh, to make up for that element. Okay. And those you can still do early and have an effect. Okay. That's what I wonder. Uh, I mean, but I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I would look at using like a 9% EDTA chelated zinc or, um, you know, a sulfur product that's only sulfur and that's available fairly quickly. Just because sometimes in those kitchen sink mixes, if you do the math, and when I say kitchen sink, there's, you know, they have their fancy little names and they have like six or seven nutrients in it. But if you do the math on those, you're not putting very much of any one on per acre. Okay. So if you have an actual deficiency like zinc or sulfur, you should put on a product that only has zinc or only has sulfur in it. Okay. And you'll see it recover a lot faster and you'll get more into the plant and hopefully you won't lost you will wouldn't have lost as much yield at that, that point. That makes sense. I mean that's why and I can tell you that out here, um, you know, where we're at, the corn a week ago versus now does look a lot greener, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think a lot of that has come from the heat. Sunshine. Yep. And yep. the sun. Heat. I mean, we haven't been hot by any means, um, but it's been sunny and it has been warmer than 55, you know, yeah. um, so that's been the one thing. Um, so the wet holes, like you were talking about, you know, on the wet holes that are being replanted, um, check in growth stages on the, the fungicide application before deciding to apply app fungicides. Is that kind of, and what are you looking at with something like that? Cause they're, I mean, for the most part with the, the crop being short at this point, I guess you could say, or, or not, not having exceptional growth. Um, some of these areas that you replant may be able to, to catch up quickly don't you think or no and you know how do you handle well you never really catch up um so i wouldn't say that but what i wanted when i wanted to make a point of is that if you're replanting wet holes you know you knew that those areas are going to be farther behind than the rest of the field and we've seen some issues in the past where if you spray fungicide too early or within um the two weeks prior to tassel that um, there can be some damage to the actual ear and um, and therefore the yield. And so just be careful that you make sure that if you're going to spray a field with fungicide, that you know what growth stages both the non-wet area and the wet area are and lean towards the later application to make sure that you don't damage those ones that are coming up, you know, a stage or so behind. Okay. So you just, there's so many things that you need to... Right. 
And I know the reps will say, oh, that all happened, all that damage happened because there were micronutrients and surfactants and blah, blah, blah. But I can tell you from personal experience that just fungicide and water has caused some of that damage also. So just, you know, lean on the side of caution. And later, a little bit later for a fungicide application is going to be better than too early. That makes sense. And the way with how 2017 has been going, man, it's the year that just really wants to bite everyone in the yeah. ass, so don't give it a chance. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, make sure that you're smart about what you're doing on on certain things, or at the very least, not allowing yourself to be coerced into doing something um, because right. folks are trying to to take advantage. I mean, in, in any situation where there's there's less than ideal conditions going on, whether it's marketing or, or production or anything like that. Um, there are some times that uh, you really run into what I call the carpetbaggers of the world, the people that are going to try to sell you this miracle product or miracle marketing approach because, um, you know, they, for one, are, are generating commissions and and they feel like they can take advantage of your perhaps fragile emotional state at that point in time. And so that's the snake oil. Salesman. Yeah. You yes. really just want to watch out for that. And, and uh, you know, on both sides of the key there, whether it's a marketing strategy or, or uh, I, you know, and I don't want to volunteer your time by any means, Karen, but you know, if, if one of our listeners has a question as to whether or not something is, is worth their time or their money um, I have no problem answering that at all. Right. And I answer a lot of questions to you, but I just want to be clear that we're not calling fungicide snake oil. I just don't want anybody to start sending hate mail. Send me hate mail. Um, I don't No, I'm really not because I love fungicide on wheat. Put it on your wheat, all of your wheat. Do it right now. Right. I just want to make sure you put it on a correct timing that you can take advantage of and not be set back. So that was the only comment I wanted to make about that. But right. And I have people, you know, I prefer private messages as opposed to having a question asked directly on Twitter, because then everybody, you know, hymns and haws and, you know, everyone has to involve themselves in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's fine if you want to ask Twitter, but, you know. If you want to ask me something, ask me privately. I guess I prefer that. And then I can just give you my opinion. And if you don't like it, you can go ask somebody else. That's just it. That's the way I look at it on the market side of things, for sure. Um, you know, and, and talking markets you know, real quick, because we've, we've, you know, we've talked about all of the things that are going on in the market or all of the things that are going on from a production standpoint and not really discussing why the market's not reacting. And, and you know, really the only thing I can say right now is is that we're in this put up or shut up sort of market structure. Um, Over the last couple, three years here, uh, there's been some conversation that we're really struggling, you know, Oh, we're struggling with production. There's going to be issues, blah, blah, blah. And we've basically produced three record crops in a row. Um, So that's what is, is kind of in the forefront of the, the trader minds, you know, 2015, I I'd mentioned, you know, it was the middle of June in, in 2015, and all of a sudden we were discussing um, 1993. We were 93 all over again, you know, and the next thing you know, we get to harvest and, and we had 172 bushel acre crop. So obviously we weren't. So that's that's the one thing is is right now many of the traders who, who got excited about potential production issues here over the last couple years, you know, are, are it's like Charlie Brown in the football, Lucy in the football, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen this, how this show ends. You know, I'm going to come in and get excited and buy this and, and uh, you know, wait, you ruined my kid's college fund or something. So there, there's that. Um, there's a general overlying problem with the idea of, of 
an overabundance of global stocks. So you you don't have to throw a rock and you'll find um, some article about how much grain is available in the world. So, okay, we get that. Um, but there is a, a supreme or an extreme amount of that uh, grain supply availability that's not going to make it into the pipeline. Um, you know, for instance, China's holding on to 48% of the world's wheat. They've also been our biggest um, export customer recently. So if you're holding on to half of the world's wheat, why the hell would you import if your stocks were in okay condition or if you even had that much? Um, you know, so I, I really question the the Chinese stock numbers. There's they they have over forty percent of the world's corn. Um, supposedly, uh, the USDA started adjusting their outlooks on on global supplies out of China a lot lower. And the biggest thing right now is we've got to watch what's going on in South America. Um, you know, and, and a lot of folks are assuming that as soon as the Brazil crops harvested, it's going to go into the pipeline. And I have a boatload of questions about that. I mean, it's it's does the Brazil Brazilian exporter then stop shipping soybeans? Because soybeans are are making them money and, and they've seen record soybean exports throughout the month of April and into May, you know, so are they going to, to stop shipping soybeans to start shipping corn? You know, on top of that, you've got all of these questions about what's going to happen to their political structure um, and, and what's going to happen with their president at this point in time. And, and that's leaving currency fluctuations up in the air and and. Uh, you know, so you could see the South American farmer holding tight to supplies as a, a hedge against currency. Um, so there's just a lot of things that are probably going to have to happen in the month of June to really get um, trader attention. You know, one of which being what we see happen with a continuation of crop conditions each Monday night, whether you love them or hate them, they're still going to drive the market. And then the other is we're going to have to see what's going on with the Brazilian second crop. There's reports of poor quality. There's reports of, you know, struggling to to maybe get it harvested because of some wet conditions down that way starting to develop. And, um, and then there's talk that they'll store a lot of that corn outside. So that always works real well. Um, well, and didn't I see some of their roads were really falling apart more than usual? Yeah. I mean, they're really struggling with, with, uh, infrastructure. And so every year for the last five, everyone's like, oh, well, Brazil's working on their infrastructure. All right. Infrastructure is really struggling. They keep talking that the, the government's going to invest X amount of dollars into, to firming up their, the infrastructure that they have in the country there. Well, the fact remains is that, that the entire, government and the the people the the contractors and all of these groups that they're working with are extraordinarily corrupt and i would really question you know how much of that work's actually getting done so at the start of this year one of the main roads that was supposed to be built to go to the northern um ports was said to be, that it was be would be done by this fall or early next spring now the talk is maybe late 2018 to 2019 um, because the funding's been dispersed elsewhere and, and there's talk of strikes. And, yeah, basically. Um, you know, so I find it humorous that everyone seems to think that uh, all of a sudden Brazil and Argentina are going to put put the the show that is their government setups, you know, to bed. And, and all of a sudden they're going to come out and, and be this reliable supplier. Um, so we've got to prove to the market, too, that, that corn export sales kind of continue on um, at least reasonably strong. And, you know, when it comes down to it, um, the USDA in their their first initial supply and demand estimates for new crop corn for the first time in I don't know how many years are anticipating that demand will outpace production in corn. 
So it's important to, to keep in mind. And that's with a 350 million bushel reduction in corn exports expectations. So we're using a hell of a lot of grain to feed livestock, to use an ethanol, to ship out of the country. Um, you know, so that's something that's important to watch. And, and we definitely don't want the market to get too out of, of hand because all that does is encourage acreage expansion elsewhere. Um, but I fully expect us to see some good opportunities, you know, in, in that $4 to perhaps $4.40, $4.50 futures range on December. You know, come at me, bro. I know a lot of people don't see it that way, um, but I still do. Um, but I definitely think, you know, you're going to want to do everything you can to try to grab these prices, futures prices that have worked well for you. Um, you know, and, and it's just Tom Petty was right. The waiting's the hardest part. I mean, it just sucks to sit here. It's like, it's a death by a thousand paper cuts, you know, and to have conditions suck on top of it, it really kind of impacts everyone. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's what I get. Everyone's like, with everything that's going on, why isn't the market rallying? Well, it's it's so many moving pieces right now. Um, and, you know, to be honest, you have a lot of people who who really don't know um, what's going on on the ground. And I'm not taking that away from them by any means, but until they have proof that there is something wrong potentially with production, you know, they've come in and bought and had their ass handed to them. So they're not going to be in a big hurry to do it again, if that makes sense. I feel like maybe with the conditions the last couple of years that we cried wolf too many times and now that it really is bad that no one believes well, us. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you earlier is, is versus the last couple of years – where would you say this crop rates? Like, what would you think? Yeah, we're not off to a good start. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that'll matter? Or does it, is it, is it too early to tell yet? You know, if, if the- it's too early to tell. I mean, if it keeps raining, then we can hide a lot of our mistakes. But if it turns off dry, we're going to see a whole lot of hurt pretty bad. That's yeah. And that's what I wondered. And I mean, and that's, so that's what we have to watch is as much as I really hate crop conditions from the USDA because they're kind of meh, you know, if it's green, it's good to excellent. You know, I wouldn't trust myself to give an accurate indication of what the crop looks like. That's why you ask farmers on yeah. Twitter. But then people will say that the farmers on Twitter are talking it up. So that's in, like you said, it's, it's the cry wolf thing. And, and I said that earlier this last week in a tweet um, where, you know, it's like the boy who cried wolf at this point in time, um, no one's really going to pay attention until the, the the little boy gets eaten. Is that how the story ended? Did the boy get eaten in the story? Did this, does it tell? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. I just remember the moral is to not lie. Right? Basically. Yeah. Not lie. I don't know. I Whatever. I wasn't paying attention. But I feel like, you know, Chicken Little's running around yelling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and nobody's believing Right? <laughs> but you really think it, I mean, you, Carrie, you're one of the people that, that, I mean, if I were to run around and be all emotional about something, totally legit, because I'm an emotional basket case. But you are pretty low-key about any sort of, I mean, I trust that you're not going to come out and say the sky is falling unless there really is something to be concerned about when it comes to the condition of the sky. Well, this is the worst start that we've had in several years that I can okay. remember. Um, you know, that's not just localized. Yeah. You know, there's a much wider area with yeah. this. But I mean, that doesn't mean it's all going to go bad. I mean, there's a lot of season left and we're just going to have to play mm -hmm. it out. I mean, it, you know, it's hard to say, but, you know, I mean, you have to get it put in well. I mean, that's, I mean, you can't, you can't not do that. So, I mean, that has a big effect on what the outcome is going to be here at the end of the season. Yeah. 
Well, and that, so it's, I mean, time will tell. And that'll be one thing that we'll do here um, throughout is, is we're kind of going to have um, the, we're going to touch base on these things. And, and then the beauty part is, is we'll be able to have Jen come in, you know, as a, a farmer herself and, and kind of tell us what she's seeing in her neck of the woods and what she's hearing as well. You know, once she's able to get the crop planted and, and come back to us, cause we miss her, but tell us about, uh, cause you're going to have some McGillicuddy Corrigan agronomic stuff, which we get to see each other, right? Don't we? Are we going to? Yes, we should hopefully see each other. Are next you going to be in Mason city? Is there a meeting in Mason city or? Well, technically we are near Kenset, okay. Iowa, but I, the hotel will be in Mason nice. city. <laughs> nice. We're going to drink. So yeah, we start together <laughs> and maybe podcast yeah, too. That'll be fun. <laughs> and, um, yeah, normally we start like down towards Missouri or Jacksonville, Illinois, and move our way north. But this year we're starting in northern Iowa and going to North Dakota because they're farthest along. That's in amazing. There, that um, says something, right? What they need to get it done in the field. Right. Yeah. And that's weird. That's, if you're so. traveling to North Dakota first because they're furthest along. And I can believe it. I was I got west of of here of Algona. I got towards more Emmitsburg over in the and mm-hmm. uh, they were probably double the the growth of what we were here, which isn't saying much because right. we're not really that far along. But but it's not just growth stage. I mean, it's what they have to get done. Yeah. You know, even though corn and soybeans are in around here, there's still a lot of spring that okay. needs to be done. That makes sense. So well, so you guys are doing. Yep, we'll be, tell, tell us all about it. Well, we're just going to have our summer field days, and you can find the rest of our schedule on our public Facebook page. Even if you aren't on Facebook, you can still see those on the Facebook page. And uh, we'd love to have guests, but I just ask that you please let me know so I can make sure we have enough food. Because having a meeting without not enough food is like the worst meeting right. ever. So that's. I made seventy pounds of potato salad this past weekend for the four of us. I didn't really make 70 pounds, but it felt like it. But I always overproduce food. So, um, but yeah, it is. It's the worst thing in the world. You come and you can't have a sandwich. Sucks. Right. And in some places, you know, we can order more pizza or whatever we're doing. But some of the places are far enough out in the middle of nowhere that I have to get some catering and stuff. So those I really need a good headcount for. So gotcha. So that's what definitely. And if you want to hit Karen up, um, if you if you have any questions on those, it's definitely going to be tons of awesome information. Um, she is, like I said, one of the smartest people I know when it comes to agronomic oh. things. And that's saying something. Um, so, yeah, I guess. Do you have anything else you want to add in before we call her a day? Nope, we should probably just say thanks again to Jen and the rest of the farmers out there. Everyone, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Really. Eat beef, eat pork, drink milk. Yeah, today uh, we're recording this on Thursday, June 1st, and uh, today is National Milk Day or something. So, you're right. I did see that. I'm going to go bubble chug a gallon of milk. Should work out well. (laughs) So, that's definitely do your part. Uh, Eat the foods, all of the foods that we're producing. Um, and, uh, if you have any questions or anything you think we should be chatting about, let us know. So as always, thank you so much for listening and, uh, we will chat with you. See you next week. week.